Starry Night, Syphilis, and Sunflowers. Today we are starting the story of the notorious VVG, touching on his relationship and attempted collaboration with the infamous artist Paul Gauguin. Welcome to Blank Canvas, the podcast that explores the histories, mysteries, and eccentricities of art. I am your host, Bridget Ginter. For me, art has always been a way to connect, both with myself and others. Art communicates some of the most deep, dark, and profound experiences of life. It can also express the whimsical, the fun, and the seductive. Sometimes I'm drawn to a work of art simply because it brings a smile to my face. I believe that art should be accessible to everyone, and that's why I'm here. Just like we are all unique, art is unique, and hopefully you will find a work that you find intriguing. First and foremost, art is anything but boring. I will be offering a little glimpse into the backstory on various artists, outlining their highs, their lows, their masterpieces, the twists and turns of how they got where they got. I love a good story, and it turns out many artists are pretty interesting people with exceptional lives. These first few episodes, we will be discussing one of the most famous artists of all time, an artist who, in his own lifetime, died believing that he himself was a failure as a human being and as an artist. We are talking about Vincent van Gogh. This is the story behind the painting, because before there was any work of art, there was a blank canvas. No matter what one does, the question of money is always there like the enemy before the troops. And one can't deny it or forget it. Perhaps someday I'll be in position to repay all that I've spent. Because I consider that what I've spent is, if not taken from you, at least taken from the family. So consequently, I've produced paintings and I'll do more. Since we are talking about Vincent in this week's episode, you probably won't be surprised to find out that these are his own words. This is part of a letter written to his brother Theo in 1888 while he was recuperating from a mental breakdown in the hospital at saint Remy, located in southern France. Some of you might find this a strange place to start, but I think it's exactly where we should begin. Vincent van Gogh is without a doubt one of the most celebrated and noted artists of the 20th century. What strikes me about this letter is how human he is and how relatable this situation is, minus the aspect that his paintings are now worth millions and millions of dollars. Here he is writing his brother a letter about borrowing money. Vincent was dependent on his family in many ways, but found that his paintings were a way in which he could pay his family back. Vincent and his brother, Theo, were incredibly close. Although Theo was younger, in many ways he was Vincent's protector and confidant. We know most of what we know about Vincent van Gogh's interpersonal life by his letters. He wrote his friends, fellow artists, and his family. The person he wrote to most and the person he was most close to on earth was his little brother. Vincent van Gogh has become the symbol of the tortured artist, and he did in fact struggle with mental illness. 
but he was also a person like you and me with an immense talent that he developed, nurtured, and felt moved to share and communicate with others. His true gift was his ability to express his feelings through his art. I look at a painting of his and I see not only his talent, but his pain. This is what makes his art powerful. Sadly, Vincent was constantly full of doubts. He didn't think he was a success, and he only sold one painting in his lifetime, and that was to a friend. I love Vincent's art for what it symbolizes about our tendencies as humans to be our own worst critics. We use the term ahead of his time with Vincent van Gogh quite a bit. This is mainly because he does not fit with the Impressionists, nor does he quite fit in a unified style of the post-Impressionists. He has his own unique personal style. Today we accept this style without the blink of an eye, but back in the late 19th century, Vincent's art was hard to understand. Vincent's own mother wasn't a fan of her son's art. When he would give her a painting as a gift or two, repay her, so to speak. She either hid the work, gave it away, or even threw them in the trash. The thought of trashing a Van Gogh makes me cringe. I have always fantasized about finding a Van Gogh in an old antique shop or garage sale. A girl can only dream. The last work of Vincent's that was publicly sold went for auction in May of 2018, selling for almost $40 million. Note that his works have gone for far more money at auction. This particular work was for a small, lesser-known painting of Vincent's. But Vincent saw none of these riches in his lifetime. In Vincent's reality, he lived penniless, dependent on his family for money, and hoping that someday he would be able to repay all that he had been given. Talk about tragic irony. It's like a million times worse than rain on your wedding day, a black fly in your Chardonnay, or to be relevant, your wedding being canceled due to COVID. So let's get back to the letter and talk about what was going on at the time Vincent wrote this letter to his brother. In 1888, Vincent was recuperating in the Saint-Rémy Asylum after the town of Arles signed a petition banning him from the village after a series of disturbances, culminating in what I call the night from hell. I think of it as the 19th century version of The Hangover, as it involves body parts, blood, the police, an emotional breakdown, prostitutes, and celebrity artists. The one thing that this night probably doesn't have in common with The Hangover is Mike Tyson and a tiger. Vincent not only suffered from bipolar depression, but he also had syphilis. Let's talk a little bit about syphilis. Syphilis was not uncommon in the 19th century. Many 19th century artists and non-artists alike had syphilis. Syphilis spreads through sexual contact. Like many STDs, 
People could have syphilis and not necessarily know that they were passing it on. We don't really think about syphilis that much nowadays because we have modern medicine. But back in the 19th century, there was no great way to treat the disease. A common treatment was mercury. Mercury is toxic and can cause neurological problems, as well as swollen gums, rotting teeth, and hair loss. When left untreated, syphilis has multiple stages, the latter stages being psychological disturbances and insanity. So both the disease and the cure had potential for insanity. So basically a lose-lose situation if you had syphilis in the 19th century. But enough about syphilis for now. Let's get back to Vincent. When one combines mental illness, syphilis, malnourishment, and drinking, you have a recipe for disaster. Hence, this perfect storm culminates in a night from hell, landing Vincent in the San Remy Asylum. The San Paul Asylum is in the middle of the landscape that is Provence. The building itself was originally a 12th century monastery, so basically a beautiful old building in the middle of the French countryside. Our friend Vincent had two adjoining rooms, one where he could sleep and another to serve as his studio during the day. His time here was voluntary, so although he had to abide by the rules of the establishment, he was relatively free. San Paul catered to the wealthy and was less than half full when Vincent van Gogh arrived. So, royal treatment for the notorious VVG. I found an advertisement for the asylum back in the day. You can check it out on the blank canvas Instagram. It advertises the asylum as a private establishment in the midst of the splendid countryside with amenities including spacious parks, temperate climate, and close proximity to Nice and Cannes. Since the San Paul Asylum was a private facility, there was a range of mental health disorders that were treated. Vincent seemed to get along well with the patients. Although he talked of howling and straitjackets from time to time, the more acute and serious patients were kept in a different courtyard. Vincent spent about a year at the asylum, gaining strength and stability in his life. He spent his days painting, mostly nature subjects. As we will see, nature is something that often captivated Vincent. He often painted in the institution's walled garden, and he was later allowed to work outside the hospital too. That one year at Saint-Rémy, he completed around 150 paintings. That is an extraordinary number of paintings for such a short period of time. Although all are spectacular in their own right, by far the most well-known is his masterpiece, The Starry Night. It is perhaps one of the most reproduced image from the history of art, alongside the Mona Lisa. It's not a big painting, measuring a little over three feet wide by two feet high. In the grand scheme of art, 
that's quite small. The Starry Night is a scene inspired by what Vincent saw outside his bedroom window at the asylum. Usually, Vincent painted from real life what he saw right in front of him. With this scene, he painted from his imagination. And how do we know this? Well, Vincent didn't actually paint in his bedroom. He wasn't allowed. He could only sketch and draw a bit. He actually did different versions of paintings that capture the view from his bedroom, but they are all dayscapes. This one is the only nighttime version. Vincent believed that real artists help people understand the beauty of nature. He believed that we found God or our higher power when immersed in nature's glory. Vincent sought to capture this natural world and share it through his art. Vincent also had a strong belief in the power of color and the power of color to communicate feelings and thoughts. So let's talk about what we see with the starry night. What stands out most about this painting is the night sky. Vincent's night sky takes up about three quarters of the painting. The color or palette Vincent uses is limited to blues, blacks, grays, and whites with expressive dashes of yellow. The sky is filled with stars, but they don't even look like stars. They look like glowing orbs of light. The orbs seem to have an energy that radiates from the center and around them swirls of sky that connects all of the orbs. Throughout this time at Saint-Rémy, Vincent, although improving, had a series of many psychotic episodes. Some believe this could have been painted when Vincent was in a heightened state of reality. However, I don't think the Starry Night's inception can be explained or described simply in terms of his mental state. It is purposely exaggerated and emotional, expressionistic. That was Vincent's style. Fast, quick, visible brushwork, and full of movement. Vincent himself criticized the work, saying the stars were too big, and did not claim it among his personal bests. Below the night sky lays the town of Saint-Rémy. You can see the little houses and also the church steeple. In the left foreground, you can also see a large cypress tree. The cypress tree is dark and ominous looking, reaching towards the night sky, not even looking like a tree, but like tentacles. Why would Vincent use a cypress tree? Well, the cypress is a plant long associated with death. In antiquity, the cypress was a symbol of mourning. Ancient households would use the cypress to fumigate the air during cremations much like we sage things today. The cypress is often found in our modern world in cemeteries, both in the West and Near East. So when we put together the color palette, which is dark and ominous, with the agitated brushwork, along with the symbolism of the stars, cypresses, and night itself, we can assume that Vincent was indeed thinking about mortality during this time. In the very least, he was thinking of the meaning of his life and the inevitability of death. 
Perhaps this was even mixed with a feeling of mourning or loss. Let's hear in Vincent's own words what he might be trying to say with his starry night. This is from a letter, again to his brother Theo, in July of 1888. The sight of the stars always makes me dream the same way the black dots on the map representing towns and villages make me dream. Why I say to myself, should the spots of light in the night sky be less accessible to us than the black dots on the map of France? Just as we take the train to go to Tarascon or Rouen, we take death to go to a star. What's certainly true in this argument is that while alive, we cannot go to a star any more than once dead, we'd be able to take the train. So it seems to me not impossible that cholera, consumption, and cancer are celestial means of movement, just as steamboats, buses, and the railway are terrestrial ones. To die peacefully of old age would be to go there on foot. For the moment, I'm going to go to bed because it's late, and I wish you good night and good luck. Handshake, ever yours, Vincent. Today, you can see The Starry Night in the permanent collection of the Museum of Modern Art in New York City, where it has been since 1941. I encourage you to take a deeper look at the painting in person if you are in New York. I will also be posting The Starry Night on the Blank Canvas Instagram. Now, let's talk about the events leading up to the infamous Night from Hell. After all, it is this night that is the reason Vincent ended up at the San Paul Asylum in San Remy. Yes, we will be setting the stage for the infamous night that Vincent van Gogh supposedly cut off his own ear. We will also be discussing his Sunflower series and his painting, The Night Café at Arles. Last Sunday at 11.30 p.m., Vincent van Gogh, a painter and native of Holland, went to brothel number one and asked for a woman identified as Rachel. Upon finding said Rachel, he handed her his ear, instructing her to take good care of this object. He then left the brothel. Upon being informed of this incident, the local police went to the home of this poor lunatic the following day. When the police arrived at the home of Van Gogh, they found him lying in bed, barely showing any sign of life. The unfortunate young man was admitted to the hospital immediately due to the urgency of the situation. This was a report of the incident published in the local column of the Arles Weekly Newspaper on Sunday, the 30th of December, 1888. What is integral to understanding this so-called ear incident is all of the details and events leading up to it. You might be shocked to find out that Vincent van Gogh did not always paint. He didn't pick up painting until his late 20s. So, he got a relatively late start in his life. Prior to that, he had tried various careers, including a teacher, the ministry, and an art dealer. As Vincent tried these different professions, he found that none quite suited him. 
When Vincent was a teacher and minister, he didn't get along well with his co-workers. And in terms of Vincent's career as an art dealer, well, some people are just born salesmen. And as we established, Vincent only sold one painting. So he was a little bit lacking in that aspect. When Vincent failed at entering the clergy, which was his father's profession, he slowly began to study art. Theo, Vincent's younger brother, was actually an art dealer and saw Vincent's talent. Theo encouraged Vincent to apply himself to studying painting, first in their native Holland and then moving on to study in Paris. Vincent always struggled with some form of mental illness. When he finally took up painting, Theo was hopeful that Vincent had finally found his calling in life. He hoped it was the beginning of some stability. In Paris, Vincent rubbed elbows with the Impressionists, Monet, Seurat, Pissarro, as well as post-Impressionists like Toulouse-Lautrec and Paul Gauguin. Gauguin will feature prominently in our story, so remember his name. We will talk more about the Impressionists in a later episode on Blank Canvas, so stay tuned. Paris in the 1880s was full of temptations. The absinthe, also known as the Green Fairy, was flowing. The prostitutes were numerous and the can-can was in full force. Think of the glamorous underbelly of nightlife that was the Moulin Rouge. Artists and aristocrats alike were out in these public spaces ready for entertainment and some hallucinations. And remember, many got syphilis, so just keep that in the back of your mind. Vincent was really a nature boy at heart. He didn't really fit in in the city lights of Paris. The more he was there, the more he slowly realized how different he was. There is a story of him painting on the riverbank and totally freaking out the artist Camille Pizarro because he looked like a, quote, madman. When I say madman, I'm talking about outlandish and bizarre behavior, not as in Don Draper, although they both had quite a bit in common, including their love of day drinking. We will hear the word madman in relation to Vincent quite a bit. Remember, even in the local newspaper, they singled him out as a lunatic. Today, that totally wouldn't fly. Although mental illness still has quite a bit of stigma to this day, I really hope and see progress little by little in terms of realizing that it's something many people suffer from in one way or another. Compassion is often the first step in getting the help one needs. Vincent definitely was unconventional to say the least, and people didn't necessarily like that. Also, keep in mind, although he was creating art in Paris, he still wasn't selling art, not one work. Understandably, Vincent decided he had enough of Paris, so he decided in order to improve his art, he needed a fresh start, somewhere new, closer to nature. So he packed his bags in search of the countryside, 
and a pace that more closely was in line with the small Dutch towns of his childhood. Vincent chose Arles, a little town in Provence, France. He rented a room in the yellow house at 2 Place Lamartine in Arles, France. Vincent had grand visions of starting his own artist co-op, where different artists would come, stay, and collaborate. They would live an ideal artistic existence, close to nature, in the country, far away from the corruption of Paris. As you might guess, things didn't completely pan out that way. At first, Vincent spent his days preparing the yellow house for potential visitors. The house was quite run down, so he took great care decorating it. He produced paintings to decorate the walls. It is in Arles where Vincent really starts to develop his signature artistic style. Vibrant colors, thick splotches of paint, short visible brush strokes. One of his favorite subjects were still lives, and still lives he created. Sunflowers were a subject he kept coming back to. There is not just one still life with sunflowers, but a total of five known versions. Today, they are located in various museums and collections around the world. All have a few subtle differences in composition and color, but all are very similar. If you go back to the Blank Canvas website and Instagram, you can see some of the versions of Vincent's sunflowers. One in particular that is currently in the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam has a staggering 38 variations of yellow. You may ask, why sunflowers? Well, sunflowers are cheerful, yellow is a happy color, and he was living in a yellow house, so it all seems very appropriate. Also, Vincent was a Dutch painter, not French. The Dutch have a long tradition of flower still lives. Flower still lives were a very popular genre, dating back to the 17th century, when the Dutch Republic was first forming. Dutch still lives often had hidden symbolism of a religious nature in particular. In typical flower still lives, the flowers are depicted in varying stages of life. Wilting, budding, not yet opening, fully matured, etc. These different stages were meant to symbolize the impermanence of our own earthly existence and the cyclical nature of life. With the Sunflower series, Vincent is looking back to an old established genre of painting, but in an entirely new way. Because of course, Vincent was interested in breaking with the establishment. I'll also include a sample of a typical 17th century Dutch still life on the blank canvas Instagram for reference. So, let's recap. It's 1888. Vincent is in the lovely little town of Arles, painting and preparing his house for his artist co-op to kick off. Specifically, he has plans of having the artist Paul Gauguin come and stay with him. Vincent had met Gauguin back in Paris. A little on the artist Paul Gauguin. 
Gauguin has gotten, appropriately, more and more of a bad rap over the years. To highlight a few of his bad boy behaviors, he abruptly left his family, wife, kids and all, moved to Tahiti to pursue his art, took on at least one child bride, and to top it all off, infected young Tahitian girls with syphilis. Syphilis just keeps popping up in this episode. Like Vincent, Gauguin was very interested in visiting remote places outside of Paris for artistic inspiration. Vincent became obsessed with the idea of Gauguin coming to the Yellow House. And finally, in October of 1888, after much correspondence and coordination, Gauguin came to Arles. Let's talk a little bit about these two guys. We know a lot about their relationship through the letters that are left behind. When Vincent invited Gauguin to stay with him, he was very excited to have a roommate and fellow artist companion. Obviously, Vincent had some pretty high hopes. He seemed to think that they would do everything together and foster a mutually beneficial relationship. Gauguin was very different than Vincent. While Vincent was an introvert, Gauguin was an extrovert, loud and flamboyant. While Vincent was a bit awkward, Gauguin was reportedly suave. Vincent was from a tiny little town in the Netherlands, while Gauguin was from Paris. In some ways, I think that Vincent was a bit starstruck by Gauguin. He writes in one letter, Gauguin interests me as a man greatly. He described him as having the instincts of a wild beast, with Gauguin blood and sex have the edge over ambition. To me, this shows how enamored Vincent was with Gauguin. He wanted Gauguin's sex appeal and his supposed magnetism, but he also saw that Gauguin was easily distracted by the ladies. Vincent's personality was much more reserved. Also, coming from a hyper-religious background, Vincent had a complex relationship with sexuality and women. Women were not necessarily his forte. He was always looking for damsels in distress, and we will touch on that over these few episodes. When Gauguin came to the tiny provincial town of Arles, he brought his own vision of what he was wanting from the experience. It was not necessarily a long-term collaborative artist co-op. The two did spend the days painting together, but had very different beliefs on the artistic process. While Vincent came from the school of thought that one must paint what one sees, Gauguin believed in art being an expression of the imagination, therefore not from life. They had endless debates about all topics art. I believe Vincent adored the debate and thrived on the adrenaline of living with another artist. In the evenings, the two would walk a few doors down from the Yellow House to the Café de la Gare. There they would be able to drink absinthe and unwind, probably hallucinate a bit as well. Vincent portrays the café in his painting, The Night Café, from 1888. 
A night cafe literally stayed open all night. It was a place where night prowlers would take refuge if they were too drunk to move or had no money to pay for a room. This would include people that had already had a few too many drinks or people that just didn't want the party to end. When you think about it, the night cafe is kind of like Vegas or the 19th century one-room version of Vegas. What first stands out to me as interesting with the way Vincent portrays the night cafe is its skewed perspective. It literally makes you feel like you are wearing warped goggles, kind of like you are hallucinating or a bit tipsy. There's a pool table in the middle of the room. It's hard to tell if the pool table is either too big for the room or too small. It just looks off. A figure stands ominously over the pool table, but they are not playing pool, just standing and staring. A little like the creepy twins from The Shining. The slant of the floor of the cafe looks off as well. Around the pool table are people with their heads in their hands, probably because they've had a few too many. The color palette Vincent uses also adds to the distressing and anxiety-provoking mood. Clashing colors of red and green, along with bright yellows. Yellow on its own is uplifting, but the yellow in the night cafe tells a different story. Vincent famously spoke about his version of the night cafe, stating that he wanted it to express the idea the cafe is a place where one can ruin oneself, go mad, or commit a crime. When we see how Vincent's life plays out at this time, these words have an eerie foreshadowing about them. But let's get back to Gauguin and Vincent. For about two months, they lived together in this cute little yellow house, painting, drinking, and even making excursions to local brothels. Remember, Gauguin was the one with the sexuality and magnetism. Vincent, not so much. Vincent was the awkward little redhead. So, when we imagine ladies involved, things couldn't help but get a bit complicated. One episode that really demonstrates their artistic rivalry is centered around a woman and the night cafe. When Vincent first came to Arles alone, he kept trying to get real townspeople to pose or model for him. One person that he was unsuccessful at getting to pose for him was Madame Ginou, the owner of the Café de la Gare where Vincent had painted. When Gauguin arrived, he started talking to Madame Ginou. Gauguin definitely knew how to turn on the charm. So, Gauguin got Madame Ginou to pose for him. Madame Ginou probably, definitely, had a crush on Gauguin. Gauguin sketched Madame Ginou in about an hour and used this sketch as the basis for his own personal version of the night cafe at Arles. Debate remains if Vincent was legitimately invited to the session or if he just crashed it. My gut tells me he crashed it. But it did take place in Vincent's own home, and Gauguin was a guest. Gauguin seems like the house guest from hell. 
Regardless, while Gauguin got a front-on legitimate view of his subject, Vincent was literally in the corner on the sidelines. In that one hour, Gauguin completed a simple charcoal sketch of Madame Ginoux, while Vincent was able to create an entire oil painting. You can see from the perspective that Vincent's view is obstructed. As one would guess, Madame Ginoux didn't really want Vincent present at that portrait session. Vincent was interested in portraiture, what he called modern portraiture, which captured the true essence of the person. Not necessarily the reality, but their spirit. What I'm most passionate about is the modern portrait. I seek it by way of color, and I'm certainly not alone in seeking it this way. I would like to do portraits which would look like apparitions to people a century later. So I don't try to do this by photographic resemblance, but by our own passionate expressions. The color and expression that I paint is meant to intensify the spirit of the individual. When you look at his portraits, this approach is evident. Vincent van Gogh went on to paint an obsessive five more known portraits of Madame Ginoux. One was based on his original painting, remember, the one done in an hour, and another four were based on Gauguin's sketch. Some were painted in Arles, and others were painted when he was in the hospital in San Remy. For some reason, Madame Ginoux was a subject that Vincent kept revisiting, even when he had left Arles. On the blank canvas Instagram and website, you can see the different ways that Vincent painted her. If you had any doubts from this little story, we can gather that while Gauguin had some kind of magnetism that attracted the ladies, Vincent was lacking in that department. On some level, I think Vincent was probably a bit jealous of Gauguin, and jealous of the fact that he was so easily able to charm his way to getting models, while Vincent found it terribly hard. Tensions were undoubtedly rising as we get into the winter months of 1888. I think of it as they were just getting too close for comfort. It's like when you have a roommate that you would like as a person, but living with them day in and day out, you kind of just have enough of them. Gauguin just had way too much Vincent. He notified Vincent at some point that he was going to leave. Vincent was offended and sad. He started to obsess over the fact that Gauguin was leaving. He wanted to prevent it. Gauguin was adamant. He had to leave. This is the start of everything unraveling. On the next episode of Blank Canvas, we will further explore the so-called night from hell, why he supposedly cut off his own ear, as well as his legacy and last days. We will also look at one of Vincent's last known self-portraits and his final painting before his untimely death. Until next time. All of the works referred to in this episode are in the show notes. You can also see more of the artworks by following us on Instagram at blank 
underscore canvas underscore podcast. Or you can find us on our website, blankcanvaspodcast.com. New episodes will be released on Wednesdays. We are looking forward to your feedback. So if there are any artists in particular that you're wanting to hear more about, feel free to reach out to us on our website or Instagram. Until next time, thank you for listening to Blank Canvas.